Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, thank you for joining me today at Keep the Faith Ministry once again. We are on the precipice of great and climactic events that foreshadow the close of probation and the soon return of Jesus. When I think carefully about the issues in religious liberty that are going on in America at the moment, I can't help but think that heaven may well have approved the development of a strong religious right. This does not bode well for America's future. We really need to pray that God will hold back the winds of strife so that God's people who have not been sealed will have a little more time to unite with Christ and that their characters may be transformed into His likeness. Our own characters must be transformed. But this is at the very time when most pastors tell their congregations that they cannot quit sinning and live a full-time righteous life. They are told that their characters will only be transformed when Jesus comes the second time. That's deadly, my friends. The whole great controversy is about the character of God, especially the expression of His character in the lives of His people. But I'm worried about America for another reason. I believe that the United States is about to begin a very dark time. Oh yes, America will become strong and great again as predicted in Revelation 13 verse 12, but in reality it is sinking lower and lower on the scale of moral worth as it does so. And in the process, it is getting more and more polarized, even to the point of violence. But before I begin, let me thank you for your support and prayers for the work of Keep the Faith Ministry around the world. We really need them. Your gifts help us to fund the CDs that we send to over 13,000 subscribers, and your prayers open the windows of heaven, the Word of God, and the angels strengthen us to do our work. Be sure and invite your friends and family to join Keep the Faith Ministry so they can receive our CDs and keep up with what is happening prophetically. Encourage them to get our prophetic intelligence briefings via email as well. We still have the DVD sets available called The Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order. They are really designed to help you understand the foundations of what you see in the press so that you can prioritize the important prophetic events from the unimportant ones. If you want to get your mind prophetically oriented, you need these DVDs. Contact our office and order your set. Now let us begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are in need of your grace in our lives, especially your power to overcome the enemy who is always on our track. We need to understand the signs of the time so that we can see that Jesus is coming back again soon. Please take over our characters so that when the inevitable chaos comes to the world we live in, we will have the character of Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can be given in rich measure. That way we can show others the way of salvation. Now we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us as we study the festering potential of a civil war in America. In Jesus' name, Amen. In the time of Noah, the people loved violence. They loved it so much that God saw that they had filled the earth with it. 
They loved killing and causing pain. They loved scenes of war and bloodshed. They did not respect human life. It was so bad that God said the thoughts and the imaginations of the human race were only evil continually. Jesus said that as it was then, so it will be now. And I'm very worried for America. The nation has become so polarized politically that it can now be said that there is no political reconciliation. In fact, the left and the right or the liberals and the conservatives, or the secularists and the religious, are so far apart in their viewpoints that they cannot have a civil political conversation. They use aggressive language that reeks of violence. They talk over each other's heads. They don't listen to each other. Their minds are so engaged in political thinking that they are blind to the things that are coming upon them. And this is just how Satan would have it. He wants to distract anyone and everyone he can so that they cannot prepare for the coming of the Lord. And now we're approaching the time of even greater violence than ever before. Violence has increased enormously in the last few decades. It has been stoked by governments on a global scale, but also by Hollywood, video gaming, the internet, social media, and by other means. Now people are so prone to violence that even little things can trigger an outsized violent response, and violence is everywhere. But what has concerned me is the rise of political violence or the cultivation of violence on behalf of one political party or another. The liberal left has had such a long run of success in the courts and legislative bodies, even under so-called conservative governments, that many of them cannot bear to think that one day religious conservatives will rule the United States, just as Bible prophecy declares. Consequently, they will resort to measures to keep things going their direction. But even those so-called conservatives on the right aren't exempt from violence either. But before I continue, I would like to make something patently clear. Sometimes, due to some of the things involved in our sermons or prophetic intelligence briefings, people of one political persuasion or another will attack me for allegedly defending or siding with the other political party from theirs. I realize that if I'm going to publish online, there will be those that disagree and will sometimes take me to task. I'm okay with that. However, the trouble is that some people who read my blogs and online sermons don't really think about what it is that we are doing before they make their criticisms. You see, Keep the Faith is different from political commentators. Our mission is to show the connection between current events and Bible prophecy, to point out that the Bible is as relevant as the evening news and show that we are nearing the second coming of Jesus. We're not merely blogging about politics, but about prophecy. All political sides do things that are very prophetic, and this cannot be ignored if you want to understand our times. That's why sometimes it may sound like we're siding with one side or the other, but we're not. We're making the point that both sides play a key role in fulfilling the most compelling predictions of Scripture. Jesus did not engage in politics. He wrote above political matters to show men the kingdom of heaven and the way to get there. He clearly made this distinction when he said, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. He separated church and state and invited his true followers to bury political questions and ride above it all. Yes, we must live in this world of political controversy, but he called us to a higher work than politics can ever reach. 
As Mr. Trump once said, political stuff is nasty. Why would Jesus want his followers to be dragged down into the swamp of nasty politics that inherently causes people to lie, assassinate the reputation of others, and generally grovel in sinful behavior? It will never sanctify them and get them ready for heaven. Christ's life was a masterpiece of real godliness in the midst of an evil generation. Listen to this statement from Desire of Ages, page 509. The government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet the Savior attempted no civil reforms. He attacked no national abuses, nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authority or administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie in merely human or external measures. To be efficient, the cure must reach men individually and must regenerate the heart. So politics will never regenerate the heart. Here's one of the secrets you need to understand political things. People get tired of their leaders and eventually they will vote in the other party. American history is full of the switching back and forth between Republican and Democratic governments. It's a predictable pattern, and the elites in the Vatican understand this. They bide their time. They accomplish what they can toward their goals by working with one set of officials while they are in office, even if they don't agree with all that they believe or do. They know eventually the other party will be put in office, and they can accomplish other things with them. But here's the prophetic crux. Once... One political party is in power, they will fulfill some aspects of prophecy, while the other party, when they are in power, will fulfill other aspects of Bible prophecy. Each side tattles on the other, exposing their prophetic behavior. Not from a prophetic viewpoint, but from a political one. We are the ones who are called to make them understood in a prophetic way. So you can't just read the liberal press or the conservative press depending on your viewpoint. You have to read both if you want to understand prophetic things. You must read them in conjunction with your Bible. And the Holy Spirit will enlighten you concerning the secret things and the hidden things going on in every political party. He will show you how the Bible is exactly accurate and how it addresses every perplexity in life and every important situation in the world. Here's a statement that you might find of interest. I've read this before, but it bears reading again today. It is from Fundamentals of Education, page 475. The Lord would have his people bury political questions. On these themes, silence is eloquence. Christ calls upon his followers to come into unity on the pure gospel principles, which are plainly revealed in the word of God. Here's another interesting statement along the same lines. It's found in Manuscript 139, 1897. The present time will bring dangers which we must individually be prepared to meet. We are not to come down from our position of ever remaining a people distinct and peculiar from the world. Our vocation is high, holy, and elevated. Our faith, if appreciated, will keep all true believers from political strife. We are to work for the spiritual recovery of mankind to God, to bring them under his theocracy. Then only are we a safe people. Friends, we're on the precipice of major changes in America, 
It's not the time to be involved in politics because political things always brings strife. I'm praying that the angels will hold back the winds of strife so that there will be a little more time for God's people to get ready for Jesus to come. I hope you're paying attention and bringing your life into harmony with the Bible, the most relevant guide on the planet. Friends, I'm fearful for America, a nation that has in its Pledge of Allegiance the phrase, One Nation Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Today, America is anything but indivisible. It's more polarized than ever, except perhaps at the time of the Civil War in the 1860s. People on left and right cannot have a civilized political discourse. The tension between capital and labor, Republican and Democrat, conservative and liberal is as wide as ever. There is seemingly no reconciliation, no middle ground. Each side seems to think that they have to have it all and cannot compromise. Friends, this situation has been cultivated by the enemy of the United States, the enemy of souls. Politics does almost nothing but drag people down to the place where they sin in their hearts and with their lips against their fellow Americans. Concerns have been growing about another civil war in America. The roots of civil war are always economic. If people can't provide for their families, especially food, they will become violent. In the Depression era, the government began social programs, which made sure people at least had food, and it helped to stave off civil war and violence. Discontent in the 60s was sharp and sometimes violent, but it was more a clash of old versus new, with the new winning out as it always does in time. Revolutions always move from right to left. Once enough leftward changes were made, the crazy talk of civil war died down. Today, the economics are unique. While nobody is at risk of starvation, never have so many Americans been so uncertain about their economic futures. Even middle-class Americans now worry about making their mortgage payments, for instance, and they're frustrated about health care, inflation, and other economic problems. Low wages and high prices have made a lot of people angry. In the political arena, the rhetoric has become almost seditious. Politicians give speeches telling people to be disruptors. In the media, people have depicted the assassination of President Trump. There are also battle lines being drawn in the streets. There are anarchists, antifa or anti-fascists, and Black Lives Matter in all major cities that have led protesters to the streets by the thousands, sparking riots. There's a sense that more people not only want revolution... But it is being advocated by the left, which is angered with the results of the election of 2016. It is possible that should they fare poorly in the 2018 midterm elections, violence could result. This is especially true if their leaders lose hope and become fatalistic. It will inspire younger, more radical minds to take the lead. The word revolution is being bandied about and is difficult to avoid the idea that people are being called to arms. The morning of June 14, 2017 was a beautiful day in Alexandria, Virginia, a close-in suburb of Washington, D.C. The sun was shining on the Eugene Simpson Stadium Park, which is nestled among the, a neighborhood dog park, the local YMCA, a coffee shop, and a grocery store. And it was a perfect day for an early morning baseball practice. 
Republican members of the U.S. Congress began arriving early. It was their last practice before their annual friendly partisan charity baseball game, which was to be played the next day against their Democratic colleagues. The game has been played to raise money for charity during most years since 1909. But on that day, lurking in the parking lot was something evil. Someone who'd been steeped in anti-Republican rhetoric. Someone who intended to kill. James Hodgkinson was born in 1951 and was one of three children raised in Bellevue, Illinois, a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. He sometimes went by his middle name, Tom or Tommy. Married and living in Bellevue with his wife, Sue, he owned a home inspection company. In 1996, tragedy struck when their foster daughter, Wanda Ashley Stock, 17, doused herself with gasoline and set herself on fire inside her car on a rural road south of Belleville just hours after her boyfriend broke up with her. In December of 2002, the Hodgkinsons assumed legal guardianship for their 12-year-old great-niece, Kathy Lynn Putnam, who eventually changed her name to Kathy Hodgkinson. Three and a half years later, however, she was returned to the state for undisclosed reasons. A business setback followed these family difficulties. In 2003, Hodgkinson lost a contract as an independent contractor with the St. Clair County Housing Rehabilitation and Weatherization Program for unacceptable behavior. Mark Kern, county board chairman, said he would not have been permitted back into the program. With some history of run-ins with the police, Hodgkinson had a mostly minor criminal record of domestic violence, driving under the influence and resisting arrest, etc. He had a valid gun license, though he sometimes used his guns in a threatening manner. He also had a streak of violence. For instance, on one occasion he dragged his daughter out of her boyfriend's car, slashing her seatbelt and punching his daughter's boyfriend in the face. The young woman's boyfriend later confronted Hodgkinson, and Hodgkinson pulled out his shotgun, hit the younger man in the face with the wooden stock of the gun, then fired a single shot that missed, according to police. Hodgkinson was charged with battery, but the charges were dropped. Hodgkinson's social media was remarkable for its focus on politics. He took part in protests and often wrote impassioned letters to the News Democrat, a local newspaper, in protest against conservative policies. Now 66, he had strong Democratic political views and had been very disappointed with the election of Donald Trump as President of the United States. I knew he was a Democrat, a pretty hardcore one, said one of his neighbors. I knew he wasn't happy when Trump got elected, but he seemed like a nice enough guy. One day, probably in March 2017, Hodgkinson left his home in Bellevue and traveled to Northern Virginia because he apparently wanted to protest the election of Donald Trump. He lived in a white cargo van for a few months in Alexandria near the YMCA where he could shower and freshen up each day. Former Alexandria Mayor Bill Yuley said he had regular encounters with Hodgkinson at the YMCA near the field where Yuley exercises. Yuli said that the man appeared to be living out of a gym bag with all his possessions. Hodgkinson often hung out on a bench in the park nearby, the Eugene Simpson baseball field in the Delray neighborhood of Alexandria. Allison Manson would steer her one-year-old daughter away from him. I just thought he looked homeless, she said. He had a lot of bags with him. 
Allison's husband, George, said he sometimes tried to say hello to Hodgkinson. He would not respond. He didn't seem scary, George Manson said. He just seemed out of it. How Hodgkinson developed a deep hatred for conservatives and especially for Donald Trump is an important question. He had joined several anti-GOP Facebook groups, including Terminate the Republican Party, The Road to Hell is Paved with Politicians, and Join the Resistance Worldwide. Hodgkinson's favorite TV shows were The Rachel Madoff Show and Real Time with Bill Maher, two very liberal and extremely sacrilegious personalities. He also watched Democracy Now! and other left-leaning TV programs. He also listened a lot to Bill Moyers and Michael Moore. He read leftist publications like the Huffington Post. The last letter he wrote to the News Democrat called for President Obama's re-election and to vote all Republicans out of Congress. On Facebook, he wrote, Trump is a traitor. Trump has destroyed our democracy. It's time to destroy Trump and co. He also wrote, Republicans are the Taliban of the USA. And about Steve Scalise, he wrote, Here's a Republican that should lose his job, but they gave him a raise. Hodgkinson was passionate about tax hikes on the rich and universal health care, along with other leftist issues. Hodgkinson was obviously steeped in extreme political ideas, and when someone gets reined up by the strong emotional and political rhetoric of talk show hosts, politicians, and others, they can be pushed over the edge and plan violence. Hodgkinson developed a hit list of at least six Republican lawmakers whom he thought should be assassinated, which the FBI found on a paper he was carrying. All of them are members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus. Mo Brooks of Alabama, Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, and Trent Franks of Arizona are among them. Hodgkinson was planning political assassinations. It was not an impulsive act of rage. On that fateful day in June, Hodgkinson went to the ball diamond, which was near his van, and remained outside the fence. He was carrying a Chinese-made SKS rifle, a precursor to the AK-type rifle, and a 9mm pistol, probably in his duffel bag. When Jeff Duncan left the game, he met Hodgkinson in the parking lot outside the fence. Hodgkinson asked him whether those playing were Republicans or Democrats, Not knowing that Hodgkinson had planned to target at least some of them, Duncan replied, They are Republicans. Okay, thanks, he said, and turned around. By 7 a.m., several dozen lawmakers, members of their staffs, and a handful of others, many wearing red shirts with Republicans on the front, had been practicing hitting, pitching, and catching for more than half an hour. At 7.09 a.m., a Bedlam erupted in a hail of bullets, shattering the quiet morning with the sound of loud bangs, one after another. People dived for cover, crouching down in the concrete wall of the dugout. Hodgkinson was shooting with his rifle through the fence behind the third-base dugout. Standing along the first-base sideline, Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona crouched near the ground and then helped Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama treat Mr. Barth, a congressional aide who'd been shot in the leg in center field and had managed to stumble into the dugout. Mr. Brooks said he had used his belt as a tourniquet to help stop the bleeding. But standing near second base, Steve Scalise, the Republican whip and the third-ranking Republican leader in the House, had nowhere to hide. 
He was hit with a single bullet to his thigh, which then ripped through his body, causing a lot of damage. Several lawmakers said they saw him go down and then try to army crawl himself toward the dugout across right field with his hands, bleeding profusely. Failing to get very far, Mr. Scalise remained on the field while the barrage of bullets continued, forcing others to wait until the shooting stopped to reach him. It seemed like it went on forever. Mr. Scalise's security detail from the Capitol Police began firing at the shooter with their revolvers. One of them was hit in the leg by one of Hodgkinson's bullets. The other suffered other minor injuries. If not for the detail who stepped up with basic revolvers, we would have all been dead, said Representative Bishop of Michigan. Mr. Hodgkinson was shot multiple times in the torso. It was a combat situation, said Michael L. Brown, the Alexandria police chief. Senator Rand Paul, also a witness, said he heard as many as 50 shots. Scalise, initially conscious, while two other senators worked on him, went into shock while being taken to MedStar Washington Hospital Center in critical condition, where he underwent immediate surgery. The bullet that hit Scalise traveled across his pelvis, fracturing bones, injuring internal organs, and causing severe bleeding. Dr. Jack Sava at MedStar said when he arrived, he was in critical condition with an imminent risk of death. Scalise will require additional operations to manage abdominal and bone injuries and will certainly need to convalesce for a period of time. Three other people were hit, including a police officer. After the gun battle with police and the security detail, Hodgkinson died from gunshot wounds. Representative Mike Bishop of Michigan, who was standing at the home plate when the shooting began, said the gunman had seemed to be firing a series of two shots at a time, a firearms technique known as double tapping, he said. He was hunting us at that point. There was so much gunfire you couldn't get up and run, he said. Pop, 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 pop. It's a sound I'll never forget. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who was among the lawmakers practicing that day, said the field was basically a killing field. It's really sick and very sad, he also said. It would have been a massacre. Others wounded included Zachary Barth, a congressional staff member who was struck in the leg by a bullet, and Matt Mika, a former congressional staff member who was shot twice in the chest. He was in serious condition. Some people will argue that there's no connection between the violent rhetoric and the crime committed at the baseball diamond. But with the information that has been pouring into my office, I'm not convinced. It seems to me that there is something more sinister involved than merely a deranged man with a rifle. For instance, I've noticed that there's been an unprecedented rise in death threats to public officials, brawls and melees at political rallies, entertainment portrayals of gross and violent acts against political leaders, etc. And while political instability and violence is something we've seen in other countries, in the last few months since conservatives took over the control of the U.S. government following one of the most divisive political campaigns in American history, it may have reached a tipping point. It seems uncanny that so many things are colluding to bring America to the brink. The day after the attempted assassination of Republican members of Congress, Karen Handel and several of her neighbors in Roswell, Georgia, received suspicious packages containing an unknown substance. Karen was the Republican congressional candidate running for office against Democrat John Ossoff 
in a special election for Georgia's 6th district seat. The packages contained threatening letters and a suspicious substance, said Handel. A letter sent to a neighbor said, Your neighbor, Karen Handel, is a dirty fascist, but I'm sure you already knew that. Take a whiff of the powder and join her in the hospital, you bourgeoisie. Resist the fascist takeover. String up the collaborators. The unsettling letter had foul language, which I removed. Using that kind of disturbing emotional language suggests energy that could easily turn violent. A Fox News affiliate in the area also received similar package and document that said, in part, America's terrorist soldiers are raping and killing innocent Muslims by the thousands. Republicans are literally ushering in the apocalypse by ignoring the impending climate disaster. Ossoff said he also received threats and hired a security detail, though no evidence of threats appears to have surfaced. Handel won the election by 3.7 percentage points. Less than 24 hours before the shooting in Alexandria, talk show host and the author Michael Savage warned of violence by marginal people who are set to explode and kill somebody. Savage is the host of the nationally syndicated The Savage Nation. I don't know how much more of this the country can take, Savage said. We are at a boiling point. There's going to be a civil war. If they keep this up, I'm telling you, there's going to be an explosion in this country. Do you understand that there are people out there who are marginal, who are going to go off like a rocket and kill somebody, Savage asked. After the shooting, Savage said, Many people think predicting things like I did yesterday is just talk. Well, it's not. I know what's coming, and, I, and it's going to get worse, he said, pointing to his 2014 book, Stop the Coming Civil War. Savage wasn't the only talk show host that predicted violence. Rush Limbaugh said, At some point, the extreme Trump resistors are going to crack, and they're not going to just start cutting heads off dolls. They're not going to just start using fake knives to stab people at Central Park. No matter what you believe about President Trump, there is no denying that the mainstream media has torn off the veneer of objective journalism and has taken aim at Mr. Trump with vitriolic attacks, incessantly spinning him in the worst possible light. Now many people are starting to question whether or not the mainstream media, liberal politicians, and celebrities bear some responsibility for the violence that occurred on the baseball field in Alexandria. Could that hostility lead marginally stable people to take violent action? Are they stoking a civil war? Is violence the real consequence of the vitriolic narratives that have taken over civilized political discourse in America? If there is anti-conservative violence, would that not trigger anti-liberal violence? It goes both ways, folks. Violence begets violence. Meanwhile, after discussing the shooting again on his radio show, Savage ended with the following dire question. Like I said yesterday, there are marginal people out there and soon one of them will act. Well, one of them has acted. When will the next one take action? Various celebrities and media personalities have been stoking political violence for decades. Consider some of the things that have happened in recent times. Comedian Kathy Griffin published a photo in which she held up a gory prop that looked like President Trump's bloody detached head. The photo got the attention of the Secret Service. 
Baron Trump, the president's 11-year-old son, apparently thought the shocking image was real at first and screamed in panic when he saw the bloody, decapitated head of what he thought was his father on television. Melania Trump said the photo was very disturbing. No matter your political persuasion, this kind of buffoonery is simply disrespectful and inappropriate. Griffin apologized for the stunt, but was fired by CNN. The photographer said that even though movies can be very violent, people see images like this as reality, and that's why it's so shocking to some people. And that hits the nail on the head, my friends. For far too many people, a violent message coming through images and rhetoric gives the impression that violence is the way to solve frustrating problems. We are told that by beholding we become changed. The scripture says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But if by beholding Christ we are changed into His image, then the opposite is also true. If we behold evil, we will be changed like that evil image. It is a law of the heart. It is a principle of the universe. By beholding, we become changed. As comedians and celebrities and other media people say or do things that recommend violence, it will eventually happen. America is in one of its most polarized periods in history. That polarization has no solution, and many people on both sides are frustrated. Their impulse is to take matters into their own hands, and when they do, they can do quite a lot of damage. Political violence is indeed a nasty business. New York's arts organization, Shakespeare in the Park, played a rendition of Julius Caesar, which depicted a Trump lookalike being stabbed to death in an assassination. Delta Airlines withdrew its funding from the theater, and Bank of America pulled their funding from the play. Meanwhile, liberal filmmaker Michael Moore publicly donated $10,000 to support the play because he says conservative media bullied corporate sponsors to withdraw their support. Laura Schieffer, a longtime fan of Shakespeare in the Park, said, To be honest, I thought it was shocking and distasteful. She added, I mean it was the onstage murder of the President of the United States. And while Julius Caesar is just a play, making it appear as if Caesar is the President of the United States is a political statement. Assassinating him suggests this is the way to get rid of him. Then on July 15, celebrity actress... Rosie O'Donnell tweeted a link to a game in which the player can make Mr. Trump jump off a cliff again and again. Push Trump off a cliff again, O'Donnell tweeted in an apparent play on Mr. Trump's Make America Great Again slogan. Other options in the Kill Mr. Trump game involve shoving Mr. Trump into molten lava or have him eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Needless to say, conservatives were not happy about the game or the liberal celebs pushing it on social media. Then Johnny Depp joked at the Glastonbury Arts Festival in southwest England by asking the audience, can you bring Trump here? The remark was met with booing and jeering, and he continued, you misunderstand completely. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? I want to clarify, I'm not an actor. I lie for a living. However, it's been a while, and maybe it's time. Depp's joke was an allusion to the assassination of American Lincoln by John Wilkes Booth in 1865. Depp apologized. But there is now an unprecedented level of violence speak that has become a pattern among Hollywood celebrities, 
mainstream news media commentators and talk show hosts, comedians, musicians, and others. Here are just a few of them. In January, Madonna, speaking at the Women's March on Washington, said that she'd thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. In a TMZ video in 2015, Mickey Rourke, the boxer-turned-actor, called Trump a big-mouthed expletive bully, saying that he would love 30 seconds in a room with a little expletive. Rourke has also expressed a desire to give Trump a Louisville slugger. In 2016, Larry Wilmore, the host of Comedy Central's now-canceled The Nightly Show, joked about then-candidate Donald Trump. I don't want to give him any more oxygen. That's not a euphemism, by the way. I mean it literally. Somebody get me the pillow they used to kill Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and I'll do it. I'll do it. In 2016, Mexican-American comedian George Lopez tweeted a cartoon image of former Mexican President Vincente Fox holding the decapitated head of Donald Trump aloft with the caption, Make America Great Again. Also, last year, shock rocker Marilyn Manson released a teaser video for his song Say 10, released just after the 2016 election, in which a Trump-like figure wearing a suit and a red tie lies decapitated on a concrete floor in a pool of his own blood. In February 2017, actor Robert De Niro said on ABC's The View that he would like to punch Trump in the face. He clarified the comment saying it wasn't like I was going to go find him and really punch him in the face, but he's got to hear it. In March 2017, Rapper Snoop Dogg released a music video that cast Trump as a clown and orchestrated his death. At the video's end, the gin and juice rapper points a gun at the harlequin Trump figure and shoots. But instead of a bullet, a red flag that reads bang fires out of the gun. More recently, the musician Moby released a cartoonish video in which a transformer-like Trump morphs into a swastika dollar sign and wreaks havoc on a city before meeting a fiery, explosive demise. Meanwhile, Hollywood director Josh Fox blasted President Trump and Mitch McConnell in a tweet, calling them terrorists over the Senate version of the health care bill because, he said, the Obama replacement sentences poor people to death. Meanwhile, a total of 30 Republican members of Congress have either been attacked or revealed that they were the victim of a death threat since the beginning of May. Phil Montague, a technology chairman for the Democratic Party, recently said he was glad Representative Steve Scalise was shot. He was fired for saying, I'm glad he got shot. I wish he was expletive dead. And there are many more that have talked violence against conservative politicians in recent times. Many of them also used vulgar language to stoke up emotions, which I won't repeat here. They include Montel Williams, Rapper Everlast, Bill Maher, Cortland Milloy, Charles Carroll Booley, Representative Paul Konjoski, Democrat of Pennsylvania, Michael Feingold, Linda Stashi of the New York Daily News, Representative Chuck Kruger, Stephen Crockett, Alan Brower, Josh Wetton, Alan Pike, Mike Malloy, Lee Delaria, and Dan Savage. It was Dan Savage who said, I wish they, meaning Republicans, were expletive dead. And it's not over. 
Outside of Republican Senator Jeff Flake's office in Tucson, Arizona, a protester said to one of Mr. Flake's staff members, you know how liberals are going to solve the Republican problem? They're going to get better aim. The last guy tried, but he needed better aim. We'll get better aim. And it's not just the liberals that are advocating violence, though that is where the bulk of it comes from at the moment. Mr. Trump himself, during the presidential campaign, made comments that advocated violence. For instance, in Cedar Rapids, he said he would pay the legal fees for anyone that engaged in violence against anti-Trump protesters. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the expletive out of them, would you? Seriously, okay? Just knock the, I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise, I promise. Then in a Las Vegas rally, he said security guards were too gentle with a protester. He's walking out with big high fives, smiling, laughing, Trump said. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. And at a rally in Warren, Michigan, Trump said of a protester, get him out. Try not to hurt him. If you do, I'll defend you in court. Don't worry about it. As a protester was being escorted out of the rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina, he was sucker punched by another attendee. Still more recently, Mr. Trump even released a video in which it appears that he punches out a man with a CNN logo over his face. Perhaps it's understandable why a violent mentality has taken over America. The left hates the right. The right hates the left. And it's a free-for-all. Meanwhile, Mr. Trump and his staff continued to deny inciting violence. America, in some ways, is a huge brawl right now and is on the verge of anarchy, which will eventually lead to a dictatorship. It has become a seething cauldron of unexpected hatred between political parties, and many wonder what's next. Some are calling for change. Conservative journalists held a rally days after the Hodgkinson shooting, demanding that the violent rhetoric stop. The organizer of the event, Jack Prosobiec, said there is too much violent rhetoric and it's time finally for us to say enough with the violence enough with the violent rhetoric we need peace and we need it now the intent of left-leaning news outlets including cnn msnbc new york times and washington post prosobiec argued appears not to be to report but to obstruct president trump as a result, they are pushing the radicalization of the American public. We are seeing so much of this ginned anger against our president from the mainstream media, from them calling him Hitler, etc. It's radicalizing people to an extent where they are committing acts like James T. Hodgkinson did. After the Scalise shooting, Representative Barry Loudermilk said, We're targets. That's exactly why there's a lot of fear of doing town halls at this point. Representative Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky, who introduced a concealed carry gun bill in Washington, D.C., said, As soon as we step into Washington, D.C. or anywhere else in public, we are unarmed and unaccompanied for the most part. And it goes both ways. Democrats acknowledge that more security is needed to thwart future shootings. The third-ranking House Democrat, Representative James Clyburn, Democrat from South Carolina explained how he deals with the threat. I can't tell you how many threats I've had against my home. In fact, I've had state police staying at my home with my family. Representative Tony Cardenas, Democrat from California, expressed to House Speaker Paul Ryan, Republican, of course, of Wisconsin, 
that new legislation pushing for increased security measures should be put on hyperdrive after the Scalise incident. Many of us receive threats, and it's not that we get used to it, Cardenas said. You've just got to hope and pray that people don't follow up on those threats. But at any given moment, they could, like we saw this morning. Popular conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh recently said, So the bottom line, it is clear that we have a divide, a majority divide in America that does not seem surmountable, Limbaugh lamented. It does not seem repairable. It does not seem like it is possible or even likely to find common ground when many Americans think that their number one enemy is the other political party. Scary times. And friends, we are indeed in scary times. It is the end times. The current atmosphere is unsustainable. It is belligerent, intractable, unwilling to compromise, and comes with a militant demeanor willing to go outside the lines of decency and lawfulness. How many more kooks are hiding in the bushes, wrote famous singer Charlie Daniels, just waiting until some words or events set them off and they go on a rampage. How many springs are close to snapping? How many malcontents standing on the edge of the precipice just waiting for an excuse to jump off? It has been proven that both sides, right and left, conservative and liberal, have their own oddballs and cliffhangers. The point is, the rhetoric itself, the attitude of take down the other side if it kills us all and destroys America in the bargain, not which direction it comes from, and if we look back in history, even back to the Roman Empire, there is no doubt that inflammatory political rhetoric can turn the people into a seething mob, ready for all manner of malevolent behavior. While political speech is protected in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, there is a reasonable expectation of civility, particularly in political discourse. This is not happening today. Decency has been stripped out of it. And while we must resist the urge to silence those with whom we disagree, civility and freedom of speech may be losing its attraction. This is especially true of the elite establishment media who manage to twist and appropriate every action or word into their own narrative. This is called propaganda. Disagree with the politically correct position and you'll be yanked off your pedestal and shamed and accused of any number of phobias. Homophobe, Islamophobe, Xenophobe... Take your pick till you crawl into a hole. It's a world only for the stiffest of backbones, my friends. We aren't allowed to disagree any longer. We must toe the line. Free speech these days isn't really free speech anymore. Freedom of speech has been jailed by the politically correct. But that platform has taken a violent twist. Consider the rage you see on social media. Even over minor inconveniences, some people are angry enough to spout off with some of the most vulgar, angry, evil, violent, and wicked phrases you'll ever hear. Road rage, for instance, is a common occurrence. It is as if people are living on the edge with their emotions and one little incident can trigger it. Rioting in urban communities and its destructive behavior is far more common these days. Anger and violence has become so common that the news media often ignores all but the most sensational. The verbal abuse promoting violence between political parties on social media and in the streets is leading us to the place described in prophecy. Here it is from the book Education, page 228. At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law. 
not only divine but human law. The centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. Such are the influences to be met by the youth of today. To stand amid such upheavals, they are now to lay the foundations of character. The people who talk about revolution today tend to be young, liberal, and idealistic. All revolutions fit a pattern. No matter where and when in history, the pattern often repeats itself the same way and for the same reasons. There are exceptions, like the American Revolution, but those are uncommon. First, the establishment is overthrown by a popular, united uprising. This can often be surprisingly quick, especially if the establishment fails to quell the violence. The military could be reluctant to strike fellow American citizens, for instance. Leaders could hesitate. In the second phase, the revolutionaries turn upon one another, struggling for control. This is where revolutions become bloody and brutal, often tearing apart families and leading to the greater number of deaths. In the final phase, a strong leader emerges, unaffiliated with the dominant factions. They gain power by promising law and order, and a weary public accepts it. Dictatorship then follows democracy. We are closer to a civil war than we have been since the Great Depression. The threat is real, prompted by economic problems. Our politicians are promoting the danger through divisive speech and behavior. All that is needed is a good deep cut to social services or some other great crisis, and the conflict may start. Such conflicts start suddenly and with little warning. Once again, they take on a life of their own, and they cannot be stopped until they have run their course. My friends, let me ask you, have you laid the foundation of character that will provide you with the ability to survive the coming upheavals that are already starting to show their ugly faces? Have you immersed yourself in Christ and in his word so that you will not be confused by the political winds of change that constantly blow? Do you live above all the political rhetoric? Oh, my friends, how we need to follow the divine counsel that will get us out of the fray when all hell breaks loose and human passions drive violence in the streets. Listen to this statement that explains why politics becomes so passionate and violent. It's found in Desire of Ages, page 336 and 337. Sin has destroyed our peace, and while self is unsubdued, we can find no rest. The masterful passions of the human heart no human power can control. It's because of sin, my friends, and it is sin that destroys peace, both in the human heart and in the nation. We are as helpless here as were the disciples to quiet the raging storm, but he who spoke peace to the billows of Galilee has spoken the word of peace for every soul. However fierce the tempest, those who turn to Jesus with the cry, Lord, save us, will find deliverance. His grace that reconciles the soul to God quiets the strife of human passion, and in his love the heart is at rest. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. 
Psalm 107, 29 and 30. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Romans 5, 1 and Isaiah 32, 17. Friends, if you get involved in politics, you will destroy your peace. You will learn hatred and violence, and most of all, you will lose out on your eternal reward. Disconnect yourself from any activity or engagement that involves political matters or anything that will destroy your peace. There is no safety outside of Christ. In Christ there shall no evil befall thee, says the psalmist. This last statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 17, explains what to expect in the future. Fearful tests and trials await the people of God. The spirit of war is stirring the nations from one end of the earth to the other. But in the midst of the time of trouble that is coming, a time of trouble such as has not been since there was a nation, God's chosen people will stand unmoved. Satan and his host cannot destroy them, for angels that excel in strength will protect them. Friends, if you are in Christ, you can face them without fear. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we see the strained and restless relations of the political elites. They are stirring a tempest that will bring violence and destruction to our lands. And it's not just America where this happens. It seems that we are about to enter a time of great trouble, and our lifestyle will be unexpectedly shaken to the core. Please help your true people, if they're living in the city, to get out. Please send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may have peace. Please help us disengage in any political thinking. Help us to understand that the Bible and its message, its principles and its prophecies should be our consuming interest. Please let Jesus reign in our lives and may we all be ready to meet him when he comes in the clouds of glory. In his precious name I pray. Amen. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run dry Fill my cup, Lord I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. The pleasure earthly things afford But none can match the wondrous treasure That I find in Jesus Christ my Lord Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord 
come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. This world gave you leave hungers that won't pass away. My blessed Lord will come and save you if you kneel to Him and humbly pray. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. If you've been impressed by this message and it has stirred and blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you've just heard is called Fill My Cup, Lord, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. 
please mention the consecration CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, cashless megatrend. The cashless megatrend, or at least the trend toward a cash-light economy, is a societal transformation that will have a profound impact. That trend is persisting, if not unstoppable. Banks are touting the positive benefits to society and governments as well as to individuals. Have we reached peak cash, says James Pomeroy, an HSBC global economist? A world without cash, the impact of the rise in electronic payments, is an HSBC report in which Pomeroy sees a world in which the use of cash is in severe decline and highlights the rates that cashless or less cash is being adopted around the world. Most of the benefits are centered around convenience, cost, efficiency, better monetary control, and security. For individuals, the cashless society is only a good thing, Pomeroy said in a video interview. Needless to say, Pomeroy doesn't understand the prophetic implications of a cashless world. For businesses, the ability to reduce the cost associated with managing cash, particularly retail operations, is a significant benefit. For governments, digital cash offers the ability to more efficiently track down tax evaders and combat crime. Banks that don't hold cash don't get robbed, and generally, people who don't carry cash aren't likely to get robbed either. But for central banks and bankers in general, the financial benefits are enormous. Pomeroy says that a cashless society puts another important weapon in the central banker's toolbox, against the individual that is, negative interest. At some point in the future, central banks will need to cut rates again and negative policy rates will likely be back on the agenda. In other words, the central banks haven't solved the problems associated with their own monetary policies. Eventually, another down cycle will put pressure on the central banks to charge negative interest to the consumer banks, which will pass on that negative interest to their customers. But negative interest rates are merely an economic concern for individuals and businesses. There are spiritual concerns for individuals and businesses when the banks can exclude anyone from buying and selling, which a digital economy affords. Euromoney journalist Solomon Teague says, with little room for further cuts and many economies still too sickly to be subjected to significant rises, central banks have been left with a dwindling choice of tools with which to steer economies. Teague also pointed out that even the most powerful central banks have found their influence on markets is waning as interest rates have tended towards zero or negative. But in a cashless environment, central bankers have a new level of influence over the economy. An issue on the negative side, Teague said, is a topic little mentioned by the bankers and governments. Unprecedented control. He said this control could be used in a number of ways. For instance, to prevent capital flight when a currency devalues too quickly. Banks would be better equipped to manage that problem. But governments, through their central banks, could also manipulate digital money to pursue specific social or economic policy objectives, he said, such as discouraging certain behaviors. What would those objectives be? And what would be the target behaviors to discourage? 
Well, Teague answers, in a more dystopian vision of the future, central bank-issued digital currencies have significant implications for individual liberty and could throw up political challenges. The Bible portrays a future in which those who refuse to cooperate with prescribed forms of worship would be forcefully disengaged from the economy, making it difficult for them to survive without supernatural help. Pomeroy also pointed out that there are also a number of possible downsides to cashlessness from a social perspective. There are obviously concerns about snooping from governments, which would know everything about transactions in an economy. For many, this isn't a problem. There remains a large section of the population who remain concerned, however, about statism in this world. It is interesting that these economists are dancing around the real issue without naming it. They're working for a global government, and they realize that liberty would also be vulnerable in a cashless world. However we end up there, it appears much of the world is well on the path toward a cashless, or at least cash-light, society, Pomeroy added. Some countries are moving away from cash payments quite quickly. Sweden is the blueprint. But similar trends are seen in similar economies such as Denmark, where ATMs are in sharp decline, in Norway, where the aim is to be cashless by 2030, in Finland, where prepaid cards are helping to integrate refugees, and in Estonia, where plans to move cashless have been in place since 2010. The Netherlands already has many stores that won't take cash, the cashless society is coming, say those who are entrusted to manage cash. It's just a matter of when. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Keep the Faith will continue to watch this megatrend and keep you informed. Next, is President Trump helping to strengthen the King of the North? Europe can no longer completely rely on its long-standing British and U.S. allies, Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, warned, saying the EU must now be prepared to take its fate into its own hands. Marking a major turning point, Mrs. Merkel also suggested that the post-war Western alliance had been badly undermined by the U.K.'s Brexit vote and Donald Trump's election as U.S. President. The times in which we could completely depend on others are to a certain extent over, she told an election rally in Munich. We Europeans truly have to take our fate into our own hands. Merkel also said Germany and Europe would strive to remain on good terms with the U.S., Britain, and other countries, including Russia, but added, we have to know that we must fight for our future on our own, for our destiny as Europeans. The two-day G7 summit in Italy pitted the U.S. president against leaders of Germany, France, Britain, Italy, Canada, and Japan on several issues. They agreed to fight protectionism and keep our markets open, step up pressure on North Korea, cooperate more closely on terrorism, and look into placing tougher sanctions on Russia. President Trump, however, did not assure them of U.S. support for the 2015 Paris Accord on climate change saying he needed more time to decide. The Paris Accords were not just any old agreement, but a central agreement for shaping globalization, the German chancellor said. The G7 meeting was destined to be challenging because Mr. Trump has frequently questioned the value of the EU, welcomed Britain's vote to leave the bloc, and spoke positively of anti-EU politicians, such as the French far-right leader Marine Le Pen. 
At the NATO summit in Brussels, Mr. Trump again said other members of the alliance were failing to match America's military spending commitment of 2% of GDP, saying this was not fair on U.S. taxpayers. He also failed to endorse the PAX Article 5 Mutual Defense Clause and complained that Germany sells too many cars to the U.S. But all of this has consequences. A provocative U.S. president may be starting to help improve Europe's ability to integrate. Mr. Trump's tour will have starkly reminded Europeans of the new world of uncertainties and the need to pull together. This is why German Chancellor Angela Merkel's words about Europe no longer being able to depend completely on others and now holding its fate in its own hands rang as a logical conclusion to the G7 meeting. Just when Europeans were ready to deal nicely with Britain's exit, Mr. Trump is helping bind them together. Meanwhile, officials in Central Europe are paying attention to Merkel and Emmanuel Macron's obvious closeness because they want to be sure that they are not left behind in the debate on deeper European integration. After Mr. Trump's tour, Britain will need to be increasingly mindful that he has become the living embodiment of everything Europe is meant to stand up against. The Obama administration had already shown that Europe couldn't afford to entirely outsource its interests to the U.S., especially when dealing with the turbulence from the Middle East. Mr. Trump has made that even more obvious. There's no clear answer as to whether Europe can make itself great again. But Mr. Trump has made the question very vivid. Our values are our strongest survival weapon against enemies, said Andrzej Kiszka, the Slovak president. And after a tense meeting with Mr. Trump in Brussels, Donald Tusk, the European Council president, said the greatest task today is the consolidation of the free world around values, not just interests. Both President Obama and now President Trump have empowered Europe to take more responsibility for itself without so much American influence. Mr. Trump is emboldening Angela Merkel to create a German superpower. With Britain out of the picture, Merkel reckons she can move more quickly towards solidifying a common EU military and clean up Europe's finances. Until now, the core relationship between America and Europe has been centered on Germany. That tie appears to be on the verge of snapping. It will be no small irony if Mr. Trump has impelled Europe to transform itself into a unified great power. Perhaps this was unintended. The European Union, which Germany leads, is essentially the resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. By pushing Europe to be more self-reliant, America is strengthening the papacy, the king of the north. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Daniel 8, verse 24. Next, Theresa May calls for internet regulation. Britain's Prime Minister Theresa May has called for the regulation of the internet in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks in London. Introducing new rules for cyberspace would deprive the extremists of their safe spaces online, and that technology firms are not currently doing enough, she said. Speaking outside Downing Street the morning after the van and knife attack that killed seven and wounded dozens, May said that new international agreements should be introduced to regulate the Internet in the light of the London Bridge terror attack. We cannot allow this ideology the safe space it needs to breed, yet that is precisely what the Internet and big companies that provide Internet-based services provide, Ms. May said. We need to work with allied democratic governments to reach international agreements to regulate cyberspace, to prevent the spread of extremist and terrorism planning. 
The Prime Minister also said Britain was too tolerant of extremism and that pluralistic British values had to be established as superior. Making British values superior to other values involves religion. In a secular world where Christianity is increasingly being prescribed or legally silenced, this could have considerable consequences, particularly on those Christian groups or denominations that are not popular. May warned that there is a new trend in the threat that we face, and that while the three recent terror attacks in the UK were not linked by common networks, they were bound together by the single evil ideology of Islamic extremism. Ms. May's speech is thought to be the first time she has publicly called for international cooperation in bringing forward more red tape to cyberspace. Ms. May's comments come after the introduction of the Investigatory Powers Act 2016, dubbed the Snoopers Charter, which expands the powers of spying agencies and government over the Internet. Regulating the Internet to eliminate extremist breeding grounds will have implications for other religions. If your Christian faith is ever considered extreme, which is likely, will your websites and social media be regulated? We must work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. John 9 verse 4. Next, the UK will change human rights laws to fight terror. British Prime Minister Theresa May says human rights laws may be changed if they get in the way of the country's fight against terror. May said she would seek to introduce longer prison terms for those convicted of terrorist offenses and make it easier to deport foreign terrorist suspects. May has overseen cuts to police officers' numbers by over 20,000 during her tenure as Home Secretary and is trying to shore up her domestic security credentials in the wake of criticism from the opposition party. May has previously called for closer regulation of the Internet to tackle extremism and criticize social media firms for not doing enough to police their platforms. British security services already possess wide anti-terrorism powers that have been denounced by Amnesty International as among the most draconian in Europe. Questions about how Kuram Butt and Yosef Zagba got through the net, since they were well known to police and had been investigated, have prompted calls to further erode human rights to deal with these kinds of threats. But Zagba and another man, Rachid Redouan, rammed a van into pedestrians on London Bridge before launching a stabbing spree in bars and restaurants at nearby Borough Market. At least seven people were killed and dozens were injured. The three terrorists were shot dead by police. May said more needed to be done to restrict the freedom and movement of terrorism suspects when we have enough evidence to know that they are a threat, but not enough evidence to prosecute them in a full court. As Home Secretary, May oversaw the replacement of control orders, sweeping powers introduced in 2005 that placed extreme limits on the freedom and movement of terrorism suspects, and their replacement with what some critics have described as watered-down restrictions. But May has now said that it needed to be easier to kick terror suspects out of the UK. The Liberty Group's director, Martha Spurrier, accused May of wanting to rip up British human rights laws, if Theresa May does what she threatens, she will go down in history as the prime minister who handed terrorists their greatest victory, she said. For cheap political points and headlines, she is willing to undermine our democracy, our freedom, and our rights, the very things these violent murderers seek to attack. 
Limiting human rights of unconvicted suspects to eliminate Muslim extremist threats will have implications for other religions too. If your Christian faith is ever considered to be extreme, which is very likely, your human rights will be curtailed as well. Prophetically, terrorism is really about targeting Western constitutions and removing the freedoms their citizens have enjoyed. Terrorism is the perfect tool in the hands of the enemy to do this without much opposition. We must work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. John 9, verse 4. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.